How are you guys doing? All right, just from here on out, this is a free zone. You guys can speak up when you're spoken to. It's all good. Even if you're not spoken to, you can speak up, except for you. <laughs> We're super excited you guys are here. I have the opportunity to fill in for our pastor, um, humbled and terrified at the same time. Um, if you guys know how much Steve works for this church, um, you would, you would uh, be grateful that he's taking a break this morning. Last time I was here, um, I shaved my head on stage. Is anybody here for that? Or sorry, you guys were here. Second service, I shaved my beard. This is what I looked like before. Um, I had to get rid of that on stage. If you're new here, you're welcome. That no longer exists. But I did get a good response last time, so I'm going to start things off the right way and just go for it. That was a joke, but it was bad. This is going to go horribly wrong. That beard came with a really interesting perspective. Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was, you know, kind of hip, whatever. It made me feel good about myself. I feel like maybe the middle school and high school guys were impressed by it. That was about it. Thank you. Um, uh, so I, I, it kind of came with its own perspective. I felt pretty good about myself. After a while, though, when it, it got kind of old for a lot of people, and the other side, the other perspective came in. Um, for example, my wife dropped a subtle, subtle hint. Hey, it looks kind of gross. Uh, maybe you should trim it. <clears throat> Very subtle. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't enough. Sorry. <laughs> and then um, a, f- a friend that comes to first service, Michael, told me, uh, there's a little red in my beard, as you saw. got a little ginger going on. And uh, he was like, hey, you look kind of like a used Q-tip. So that was the second subtle uh, thing that kind of stuck with me I couldn't get rid of. Um, I have good friends, very honest friends. And then my sister-in-law, Karis, who's here this morning, um, begged and harassed me like so much about, like, please, please trim it. It looks disgusting. She went, like, the next level up. And so she broke down and bought me the little hair or face trimmer thing because she thought I couldn't afford it or something. I don't know. It was Again, it was a subtle hint. The fact was I did not want to afford it. Um, but in the end, she won. A lot of the church was pretty happy when I did it. But perspective is a really interesting thing. Um, when you take on another perspective, it really forces you to look at things differently. Sometimes a better, you know, the, the right way. Sometimes you're looking at things the wrong way. Um, it's still up for debate if that was the right or wrong way. I was looking at my beard. But um, last week, uh, Steve finished his sermon series on the Bema Seat of Christ. Um, you may remember this picture if you're here. <clears throat> it just kind of messes with your head a little bit and stare at it for more than five seconds. <clears throat> Very weird. Um, so it, it got me thinking of this other picture, which most of you have maybe seen before. Is that an old lady or a young woman? Yes. The answer is yes, it is. So the Bema Seat series was something that pointed out something that is happening right now, something that applies to us whether we believe it, whether we realize that it's even there, um, whether we agree with it. It's happening regardless of our perspective. It's happening at the same time. This uh, verse Steve mentioned, uh, Matthew twenty five fourteen. it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. For those who don't know, I'll try not to butcher all the work Steve did over six weeks, but the Bema Seat of Christ is the seat that Christians, as soon as you surrender your life to Christ, everything from that point in your life is going to be called into account, how you live the life, how you ran the race, and we will be judged at the beam seat of Christ, not whether or not we'll be saved from hell or saved from separation from God, but how we can be awarded and, and gifted after this life. Crazy cool uh, sermon series. If you don't 
know what I'm talking about, go on iTunes. It is on there on the website. Um, Steve wrestled with that. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm seriously grateful for a pastor that is willing to speak really hard things. Um, that was a hard series not just to hear, but it was a really hard series to preach um, on his part. A couple of weeks before, he was struggling with this. Like, man, I really want to, I feel like God is putting this on my heart to do this. And, you know, should I do a, a sermon series on the Bema seat? I'm like, yeah, bro, that's awesome. And as he's talking to me on the phone, I'm typing in Google, I'm like, Bema. I don't know. <laughs> How do you spell Bema? Bema, 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 Bema. <laughs> Somehow I came up with a Boston BMW dealership. That was weird. Get some pizza and beer. <clears throat> By the way, if I say anything offensive this morning, you can email all complaints to Steve, who can be uh, found at 360church at gmail.com. But this truth exists. This beam of seat is going to happen whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter what our perspective is. Unfortunately, we have a pastor who will, will bring it to our attention. The perspective I'm talking about is obvious in a lot of ways, but very subtle in other ways. I'm going to dive into the subtle ways in just a few minutes. Um, I don't feel qualified in it, but I do feel obligated. Um, as your worship pastor, I'm going to speak to you about worship this morning. Nobody got excited about that. That's fine. No, I'm not excited either. It's fine. But it's, it's something that uh, is definitely intimidating. You can hit it from a lot of different angles, but I'm going to try to hit a very subtle angle this morning. Um, we use cliches all the time, and I commit to you this morning that I will not, I'll try not to use cliches. Um, worship is a lifestyle. Who's heard that one and has it beaten to their brains? Um, worship is more than a song. These are all things we know that we agree with. I'm going to do my best to not do that. Cliches exist for a reason, but they lose their value when you just repeat them over and over again. You forget why they exist. So this morning, hopefully I'll be able to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, please, um, that I could communicate that to you this morning. There's actually, we're not going to sing Heart of Worship. Um, if, if those of you are, are fearing that, Heart of Worship is a really good song, and there's people snickering right now. Heart of Worship was written out of a really cool experience out of the church, out of a church in the U.K., um, Matt Redmond's church, where they felt like all of their attention and their energy was going to this show, into the music, which had incredible music. So they literally put a halt to all band music for months. And this is a big church. This is a really successful and well-known church. Um, and this song, Heart of Worship, was born out of it. It starts when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. All those words are awesome, but I feel like we, we may have still lost them because we've heard them a lot. So with that being said, I'm going to avoid cliches. Um, but before I move on, a little commercial for the church slash myself. Um, one answer you will never hear from us. If we do something, uh, if we do a ministry, if we, whatever it is, a decision we make, uh, for the direction of the church, none of it is cliche. None of it is just because. You'll never hear, and if you ask us, why do you do this? We'll never say, because that's the way we've always done it. That's an unacceptable answer. We, we really investigate every ministry, every single thing we do, and we're intentional about it. Not only are we intentional about small circle relationships, which is our, the vision of our church, the mission of our church, and discipleship, but each ministry under that has a very strategic vision. There is... There are a million songs that we could choose on Sunday mornings, and I choose the ones that we have for a very intentional, specific reason. Whether you like them or not is another question. I don't know. You can email Steve at 360church at gmail.com if you want. But we take it seriously enough that this college dropout wrote 10,000 words 
on a strategic plan. We take everything we do seriously. Our faith is the most important thing in our lives. And I think you guys would agree with that. So everything we do here, that everything we portray to you guys, we put a lot of thought and a lot of prayer into. So just thought I'd throw that out there. That being said, cliches exist for a reason. Even though they're annoying, worship is a lifestyle. Actions speak louder than words. It's a matter of credibility that we say these things. If we commit to something, if we claim that we're surrendered to something, like I give you everything, whether it be God or a person, it's, it matters. There's credibility that's needed. You can't just say things without putting some action behind it. I can tell my wife, Bree, who sings with me most Sunday mornings, that I love her, which I do. But if I don't prove it, who cares? Honestly, if, I, if I'm not, you know, giving her gifts, if I'm not taking her out to dinner, if I'm not engaging in her and listening to her, if I don't pick up a broom and sweep the house every now and then, my love is, is just words. And what you don't know is I just throw myself under the bus because I have not swept the house in a while. <clears throat> I've got a lot of work to do after this. But the original word love in the Hebrew, when, when uh, the law is given to Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you guys are familiar with it. That word love, and if there's any Hebrew scholars in here, you can talk to me after if I get this wrong, but there's action tied into it. The first two letters imply that you're going to do something. It literally means it's a hava, A-H-A-V-A, a hava love, which is kind of like a giving love. Like I'm going to do something. I'm going to give of myself. And it goes beyond that. It's not just like I'm going to give you something. I'm going to be in a constant state of giving, literally translated, I will giveness. It's kind of weird, but that's what real love is, is when we can actually put feet to it and make it real. Um, it's a matter of credibility. Like I said, if we have no action, there's no reason to believe that our words are more than words. It's more than just a feeling. In worship, we admit our dependency on Christ so freely. We admit that we, we need him and we, we give him our, our, our lives. You know, we say it so freely. We submit our wills to him. We declare our supremacy in worship. And so freely give him everything when we sing. But if it's not followed with actions outside of music, even in this room, it's no good. The Apostle James says it really, really well, kind of straight, dead to the point. The book of James is so cool. It's just like cut and dry, like no misinterpretation. In James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's not faith without, you know, it's not like it's not as good or it could be better or it's bad. It's dead. It's like it doesn't even exist. I tell my wife I love her and I don't actually follow through with it. She doesn't love me less, but my love is not proved for her. In the same way with our worship, the same way when God calls us to something, unless we're willing to act on it, our faith is dead without works. And it's not a matter of salvation like we saw in the Bema Seat. That's not what we're talking about. But we need to prove our love for Christ in the things that we do. Dead is a very powerful word, is it not? you either dead or you're alive. So this morning as we go forward, keep the cliches in mind, but don't be uh, turned off uh, if, they, if they pop up. Don't be turned off by their overuse. The Behemoth Seat series proved that there's a perspective happening right now, whether we know it or not. This morning, I want to talk about a perspective that's a little different. It's happening right now, but if we miss the perspective, we'll miss out on something way bigger than what God has for us. If you're looking at it the wrong way, you'll miss the picture. Um, one of the best ways I can envision this is um, a couple, a year, about a year ago, my parents bought a German Shepherd puppy who was like this big, um, and now he's enormous. This is Bear, by the way. Enormous. 
Sorry, podcast people. You should have been here. I'm just kidding. Um, he's a big dog, obviously. If you're not in the right angle at the right time, that would have never happened. I was so happy I was at the right place at the right time. Um, Bree and I went to uh, Denver for our vacation back in March. We went to the Denver Zoo, which was a very interesting experience, um, smelling uh, marijuana <laughs> at a place where kids were walking around. Um, is marijuana offensive just talking about it? It's not? Okay. Well, 360churchgmail.com. If, if, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, to say the least. But anyway, so Bree and I saw the smallest giraffe um, the world has ever seen, ever. And uh, it was cool. It was very cool. If you're not at the right place at the right time, you're, pers- you're going to miss the cool picture. You're going to miss what's going on. I think it goes without being said that art is a gift. Um, the music that we play on Sunday mornings, I feel like, is art. I hope it, it comes across that way that there's heart behind it and there's inspiration behind it. But there's obviously so many different kinds. There's dance, there's painting, there's whatever. Um, one of the pieces, one of the... Uh, uh, Ways that art has really spoken to me in the last couple of months over this last year is chalk art. Anybody ever seen a chalk sidewalk? It's okay. You can raise your hands. You don't have to go like this. It's okay, guys. We're, we're all friends here, except for you. I'm just kidding. Um, so every year, Sarasota Chalk Festival happens here in Sarasota. Anybody been to that? Here's another chance. There we go. Cool. Okay. The more you guys talk, the better I'll feel, and this will be less awkward for everyone. I might do some stretching. Um, so this is the Sarasota Chalk Festival. It happens on Burns Court. Um, literally on Burns Court. It's a very cool thing. I was told after first service that it's not being held in Sarasota this year. It's in Venice, correct? Yes. Okay, I don't know where in Venice, but you can go on, huh? On the island. Ooh, that sounds nice. Venice on the, yeah, the island. Wow, that's going to be really cool. Um, November 14th to the 17th, I believe, though. I think is the right date. But anyways, it's, it's a super cool thing. Um, just throw some more pictures up there of that. I mean, the perspective is, is incredible. Uh, I have such an envy for artists that can <laughs> put that on a piece of paper, much less sidewalk or uh, asphalt. Um, the next one's a couple of kids. It's just kind of like you, the, the amount of talent that goes into this is incredible. Um, yeah, one more up there. It gets a little political sometimes, a little edgy. The George Washington, I know it's a hot topic these days. Also a joke. My wife is the only one laughing, but it's okay. <laughs> The one that I think is really cool is the next one. This is my favorite one that I saw at Chalk, the Sarasota Chalk Festival. But I feel like you're not very impressed by that. So I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to explain a little bit what goes into this. This is one of my favorite chalk art uh, masterpieces. Um, has anyone ever heard of Julian Beaver? Yes? Cool. All right. You're getting better at this. You were here first service. That's why you've heard of it. Okay. You're sending through this twice? That's weird, bro. <clears throat> Julian Beaver is like the authority of chalk art. He's pretty incredible. And I found an interview with him that CBS did. Uh, take CBS out of the thing. I don't think we're allowed to say CBS. Um, but he explains kind of what goes into it and what makes it work the way it does. So check this out. We caught up with Julian Beaver a few days ago in New Orleans as he began his latest creation. In the past, I used to get quite uh, insecure, really, on the first day, not knowing that I would have enough time to get it finished. But now I try to be a bit more cool about it. I know I've done so many of these, and they always do get finished. He was commissioned by a business group to come up with a theme that reflects New Orleans city life. First, he draws his design in miniature. It's a very expansive drawing, this one. It's figures and things coming out of a hole, exploding into life blowing a fanfare outwards to the world. 
Before chalk touches concrete comes a rope trick that helps his sketch grow in scale. The entire process will take three and a half days. Beaver says the first day is the hardest. Looks like it's just a bit of scribble, but actually the information there is the, probably the toughest bit to get done. And there's the physical toll from drawing on the ground and running back and forth to look through the camera hundreds of times just to gain perspective. Feeling pretty tired now. We're none of us getting any younger, are we? No, we're not. To get the full picture, you have to see Beaver's work through a lens. I think because the camera limits what your brain can do, it limits the brain's ability to judge distance, it makes you only use one eye, and therefore you can make the brain believe stuff that otherwise it wouldn't believe. So it's really, your art wouldn't be your art without the camera? No, you need to have a, a lens or a camera or something to view it. It does look dimensional. Yes. Isn't that amazing? That is just amazing. This made the trip all worthwhile. Oh, yes, so <laughs> and she hasn't seen anything yet. Beaver's bare bones chalk outlines are fleshing out. So we're seeing who? What is this, Louis Armstrong bursting through the sidewalk here? Well, it, it's Louis Armstrong if, it, if I can get a likeness. If I can't, then it's just any musician. <laughs> and when it all works, it looks like this. His New Orleans drawing fully realized. An amazing piece of art. But like all of Julian Beaver's pavement drawings, it is destined to be swept away, erased by time. It doesn't worry me at all, the fact that the drawing will disappear after a couple of days in the rain, because the final product is the photograph. And if that photograph goes on the internet, then thousands of people will see it, and it'll, it'll be there forever. So it, it doesn't vanish, really. The, the drawing on the ground is just a vehicle. Just one more way Julian Beaver keeps things in perspective. Pretty incredible, right? I want that blue hat that lady has. That was really cool. <laughs> here's a couple more from Julian Beaver. These aren't even the coolest ones, but here's one that's taken from the wrong perspective. I'll throw it in the right perspective. This is what you get. The scale is incredible. I, I just That totally blows my mind. Let's try, check out this next guy. Looks kind of like, okay, that's a little strange. Check out what happens when you look at it through the camera. <laughs> oh, that's so creepy. Okay, uh, one more. He does a lot of really cool landscapes. This is one that really stuck I did in North Carolina. Check out what, you, what it looks like. Ooh, uh, pretty incredible. Let's go back to that one, the, the uh, stretched out one. That's what it looks like when you're looking at it from the wrong angle. Here's what it looks like when you look through the right angle. The correct perspective. Legos. <laughs> oh, that one is so cool. I love it. That's one of my favorite favorites. Here's the point. When you're looking from the wrong perspective, you will miss the big picture. Without the right angle, you will not see the art for what's really worth. There's so many ways to approach worship this morning, the subject of worship, but there's only one correct way. And this morning, with, with God's help, like I said, in the Holy Spirit, I'll try to point us in the right direction. I want to start with the obvious. If you have your Bibles this morning, which I encourage you to bring your Bibles if you have them. If you have it on a phone, um, that's cool. Just don't end up on Instagram, Facebook, youth group, or Snapchat, or MySpace. Man, there's so many. Um, but uh, open up to the Gospel of Rick Warren. <clears throat> also not funny. I thought it was going to be funny. Not funny. 
Some people are like, what kind of church is this? Someone coming back here. Um, Rick Warren, you guys are probably familiar with the purpose-driven life. Um, it's a lot of his things have actually been made into cliches. It's one of the best-selling book books of all time. Um, and from the very outset, the purpose-driven life, the first sentence, the first paragraph, the first page, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. Ouch. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you're placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You're born by his purpose and for his purpose. That's pretty cut and dry. I think that's pretty well said, though. There's no better way to say it in a nutshell. We all know this. Uh, it's in a culture full of self-absorption and, and materialism, it's not about me doesn't make any sense. It flies in the face of our American culture, and it flies in the face of our human flesh. We're wired this way. Um, We'd be remiss this morning if we didn't mention Jesus. Jesus, we have an awesome, just powerful look from when he's going through turmoil, and he's going through the most probably anxious moment of his life. He knows he's about to be delivered up um, to be murdered, to be crucified. Um, the reason why we're here this morning, the reason why we have life. He, he's going through this stuff. He knows it's going to be bad because he's God. He's got it all all mapped out in his head. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And in a moment of like awesome transparency, that should give you comfort that Jesus understands what you're going through. He has this awesome prayer. Luke twenty two forty two. Some of you guys are probably all very familiar with in the garden. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. I wish that we could we could get emotion out of this. Like I couldn't imagine what was happening here. We're told that he's sweating blood. Like I've never done that before. I've never been that stressed out. Um, I don't know if you guys have, but it's pretty incredible. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We know this verse like the back of our hand. Steve always mentions the, the small words in Scripture. There's a good one for you. God, here's what I want. Here's something. I'm scared. I'm freaked out. Yet, but however, your will be done, not mine. There's so many ways this affects our lives all the time. Even this morning, before you came to church or as you're sitting here, smack snooze. I'm the only one. I'm sure of it. I'm going to go back to sleep. Am I going to park in the front lot or am I going to park in the back 40 where I have to walk 40 days and nights to get to church? I'm going to park in the front lot. There's some nice shady spots under the tree on the side, and I'm not worried about the other people that need a closer parking. Coffee? Yeah, of course I'm going to get coffee. I want coffee. Am I going to sit in the back, the front, the right, the left, or in the shadows back there? We see you guys-ish. Kind of. Am I going to sing when they actually like start singing? Am I going to participate in this? Do I really want to? Am I really going to lift my hands and spin around like an idiot like this guy? You guys wonder why I do that song. I do it because I'm being facetious. There's this, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll do it later. No, thanks. Not doing that. Do I really want to meet somebody new during the obligatory greeting time? We greet every week. This is scripted. There's nothing behind this. I, no, I'll just I'll chill out right here. It's fine. Am I actually going to pray during silent prayer? Am I going to be silent in my in my mind, in my heart, and really listen for the Holy Spirit? No, I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to kill some time. Seriously, am I really going to take notes? I don't know. I'm kind of tired. I just want to get a good word this morning. I want to get in, get out, and, and be done. Am I really going to listen to the Holy Spirit if something is said through the word or through the message or through worship? 
Am I really going to listen and respond and do something about it? I feel like God's tugging on my heart this morning. Literally, I feel like there's something bigger to live for than just myself and my own will. I want Jesus to be the supreme ruler of my life. I, want, I accept his gift of salvation. Am I really going to walk back and talk to somebody about that this morning? Do I want to do that? Most importantly, what am I going to get for lunch today? <laughs> yeah, don't lie like you're not thinking about it right now. Obviously, that's not the most important. No one has to teach us to make decisions based on our gut. If those questions come up, we're going to immediately go to our gut, our feeling. It got me thinking, what would it look like? I talked about our strategic plan that we have for the church. We have our vision, and we're very, very intentional about everything we do. And I hope you guys uh, are being uh, are the recipients of that in a good way. I hope that you, you feel it, and that we are, and that we care about what we're doing. But it got me thinking, what if our strategic vision was to do whatever you guys wanted us to do. It'd be kind of kind of crazy. So it got me thinking. I think it might look something like this. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. You guys sound like you want that. Jeez, you're so excited about it. It does not exist. Um, don't Google it later or see when their service times are. The institution doesn't exist, but the attitude is so real. We walk in the doors this morning. What's in it for me is the, the Starbucks term for it. How can I get something for nothing? How can you give me what I want? It's the opposite of how the church is supposed to operate. It's the opposite of what Jesus prayed so earnestly and so honestly. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a disease to be honest. It's selfishness. And all sin is derived from selfishness. The only antidote, the best antidote is a sincere prayer this morning. God, I'm here for you, not for me. This is all about you. There are things I want my way, yet not my will, but yours be done. I think you guys would all agree with this. The sad and kind of frustrating thing is we know this. You guys know this? Yeah. We, we say this and we sing it. Uh, we say it so much it's almost lost meaning in our lives. This is the obvious layer. If we could get this layer down, uh, if you could live with not my will, but your will be done, God, um, we would have a much different looking world. That's for sure. Not only do we operate by our knee-jerk reactions and the things that, like our gut feelings and like, you know, just what feels good to us, I feel like most of the time we operate 
scientifically. We operate in logic and reason. We want to understand things. We want to be able to wrap our minds around them. We want to be able to explain them. Anything we can't explain makes us super uncomfortable. It got me thinking. It's, it's a lot like a third grade science class. When I was in, I think it was third grade. I don't know. Maybe I was ahead or behind. You tell me. But photosynthesis was like the coolest word I knew as a little kid. I think hypothesis was the second coolest word. Who knows the, the, uh, what makes up a hypothesis? No one. If and then, right? If and then, maybe I was the only one. I'm the only one who knows science. It's cool. Um, it's made up of if and then statements. If I do this, then this will happen. You're supposed to test your hypothesis. If I replace water with bleach, my lima bean plant will die. You know, it started, it started very obvious and simple, but it was to teach us a process. We do it every day. If I put gas in my car, I will make it to work. If I brush my teeth, my breath will smell better. If I eat a McDonald's for lunch, then my stomach will feel like garbage later. <laughs> hey, is this is me. I don't know. It's pretty simple, but this is how we operate. We integrate into our morning worship. We plan this stuff out. If I play this song, then we'll probably get this response. If I tell this joke, we plan jokes. Steve plans all of his jokes. He's not that funny. Um, <laughs> He actually is one of the funniest people I've ever met. But we plan these things. We, we, we plan sermons and illustrations so we can garner a certain response. Even here in church this morning, if I tell a joke, then you will laugh. And that's a maybe. That's what we call a, a variable. <laughs> um, I'm smart. I got all this on lockdown. If I cry during a heartfelt story, then you will probably cry. Maybe. If we approach God with this, this is my proposal. If we approach God with assumed hypotheses, then we will not see the beautiful artistic masterpiece. If we worship God with preconceived notions and expectations, then we'll have a skewed perspective and we'll potentially totally miss out. If you think about it, it's a means of control. We want to be able to explain things and, and hold things together and put them in a box and tie a bow and like, this is why this happened. I understand it. Here's the irony, though. How many people here have read this book? One person. <laughs> Steve, we have a problem. <laughs> this book, the Bible, is full of so many stories. The entire thing is written with God blowing people's minds and destroying our science experiments and destroying our intellect. It's so ironic. We, we try to put God in this box, even here this morning, when this book is full of so many things. He's in the business of destroying logic and disproving our hypotheses and science experience. Maybe some of you have experienced in your own life miracles, crazy stuff that you just can't even put a label on. We want control, but the fact of the matter that we, is that we have none. God is in control and he does what he wants. Amen? We're going to say that a lot this morning, so just let, I want it to sink in. I want you guys to have that on your brain. God doesn't just have control. He is control. He's got a corner in the market. He is the monopoly of control. It's all his. We all agree with this. We talk about it. You know, it was like, of course, God's in control. Whatever. He's got the whole world in his hands. Cliche. But so often we deny this truth in practice. When we don't live out this truth, like I talked about faith, if I don't prove my, my love to my wife in acts of service and things I do for her, we're missing out. We're, we've got the wrong perspective. When we don't live out the truth, which is worship, we belittle God and we muddy up the impact he can have on our minds and our hearts. 
And I'm not contradicting myself. I'm not saying that God doesn't have, that he can't knock us off our horse like he did, or his donkey, like, like he did Saul and completely convert us without us ever trying or looking into it. But what I propose is that God is here every Sunday morning. He says when two or more are gathered in his name that his spirit is here with us. And we know this. This has become cliche. We're destroying cliches this morning and really picking them apart. But we've lost the awe and the wonder of it. When we don't look through the camera lens and the perspective of God, we can't see the correct picture, which is a masterful work of art. One of my favorite depictions of this is found in 1 Kings. If you guys have your Bibles, we will turn to an actual Bible verse this morning. Um, 1 Kings 19. It's a story that's probably very familiar to many of you. It is the story of Elijah. when He's running for his life and he's hiding in a cave and the Lord appears to him. Um, to give you a little bit of a backdrop, Elijah just... I'll, I'll go back a little further later, but for now, all you need to know is that Queen Jezebel, the, the wife of Ahab, the king of Israel at that point, was really mad at, uh, at Elijah. He just ordered the, the slaughter of every false prophet in Israel. I think it was like 850 of, of Baal and, and Asherah. <clears throat> so uh, Jezebel wasn't really stoked about this. She's like, okay, I'm going to kill you since you killed all my prophets. So Elijah's running because somebody just threatened his life. He's the only one on his side, he feels. He runs. He runs out like to the desert. He's exhausted and literally says, God, please take my life. I'm tired. Just kill me so I don't have to get killed. <laughs> I'll take my life. And miraculously, an angel of the Lord comes and puts a, a cake of bread. I don't know if it's cake with icing, but it said a cake of bread in Scripture. And um, gave him water. It's like, hey, you need to keep going. You got another. You got more of a journey ahead of you. So he eats it and he drinks and he moves on. He goes another forty days and forty nights into the wilderness. I don't know how many of you have traveled forty days and forty nights, but I imagine it would be tiring. I travel like six hours just to get out of Florida. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's the worst. Overseas flights are like, come on, man. 40 days and 40 nights. This dude is exhausted and he's still scared for his life. Jezebel has got a wanted poster everywhere. Kill this guy. So this is where we pick up. He's hiding in the cave. He's freaked out. He's probably, he's obviously tired. And the story that's so familiar, I want to look through a different lens this morning. We pick up first Kings 19 verse nine. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I feel like some of you could actually quote this right now without even looking at it. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? We're going to go back and unpack this a little bit because this is a, a pretty cool story. Any fiction readers in here? We're getting, yep, stay stretched out. It's all right. Get, get it up there. It's all right. Um, there you go. Thank you. Um, this is the coolest nonfiction ever. We believe this to be true. I mean, we really, I mean, a lot of, hopefully a lot of us, uh, take this stuff literally that God has the power to do these things. The word of the Lord came to Elijah when he's stressed out and anxious and ready to die. We don't know what it sounded like, but it came to him somehow. What I find really interesting, though, is the word that came to him wasn't the 23rd Psalm, which they had. David had already been through, and it wasn't, you know, God didn't come and say, hey, it's cool. 
You know, that's, like, that's how I envision God being comforting. It's cool, bro. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. That's what you'd want after you just traveled for 40 days and 40 nights and someone's trying to kill you. Elijah was scared and stressed out. He wanted rest from his anxiety, but instead of comfort, God asked him a question. What are you doing here? That's what he asked him. And Elijah reacts the exact same way I would have. He complains in verse 10, which, granted, he has a good reason to complain. I think that I would understand. Um, I'm going to try to do a voice that Steve often does, so uh, bear with me. Verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord. God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. By the way, he does a... Thank you. He does an awesome impression of his kids. Sorry, Ty and Wes, if you listen to this, that's what you sound like when you're complaining. But he's, he's complaining um, for good reason. I think I would have taken it the extra mile. I've been mean, like, really, you have questions for me. You just told me to go 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness, and you're saying, what are you doing here? How about a hammock? How about some sweet tea? How about some music? How about a massage? You know, something. This is not what I expected. I'm looking for some comfort here. It's funny how we do feel entitled to things after we experience things. God's response in verse 11 would be equally frustrating. After I like rant at God like that, like I've been very zealous for you, you know, this is what I'm, this is why I'm upset. I'd want him to be like, you know what? You're right. I'm so glad that you've been working for me. You're so zealous. I'm sorry for asking you questions right now. Here, take it easy. We're going to set up some lights. I'm going to put a hammock between these two rocks in the cave. I'm going to bring you some food. You've done your work. Good job. Man, I'm so sorry you went through that. You know, it's like we, we want that when we complain to God. God's response in verse 11 is so frustrating. God is in control and he does what he wants. We're getting there. It's all right. It's good. Verse 11. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I would be livid. Like, are you listening to anything I'm saying? I've already gone this far into the desert. I'm complaining to you. Give me something. Now you're telling me to go do something else. None of this makes any sense. Elijah had preconceived notions as to how God would have, should have responded, but it didn't play out that way. God is in control, and he does what he wants. Oh, so weak sauce. Come on, guys. This is, this is why we're here this morning. This is such a cool story. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Verse 11, second half of 11 is where things get crazy. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Has anyone ever seen wind like destroy mountains? We have hurricanes, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's, that is ridiculous. Anybody else like chew on that for a second? The wind blowing the mountains apart and they're being shattered against each other. That as we know, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. I've never been part of, or in an earthquake. Anybody here been part of, an, in an earthquake? Part of an earthquake, like you caused it. Sorry. In an earthquake. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying, right? I mean, is it kind of like, wow, the ground is shaking and I have no control. <laughs> but as we know, the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Judging by the first two displays of God's glory and crazy power, I'm assuming the fire is probably a sight to be seen as well. Um, <laughs> and so... As we know, he wasn't in the fire as well. But we can't really breeze over this. Think about like the timing of all this. Go out, the presence of the Lord is about to pass by. It's not like he says that and Elijah's like, dude, it is windy outside. 
Those mountains are literally crashing into each other. That is so weird. What's with this earthquake? What are the odds this wind and this earthquake together? This is crazy. Fire. Okay. Wow. Nature is exploding in front of me. What are the odds? God is laying out a perspective for Elijah. One that he's obviously lost and he's trying to get back to him. God is in control and he does what he wants. Mm. I'm getting there. Now, here's where American Christians still miss the boat a lot of times. And I, I put myself in this, so I'm not coming down on you guys. We, we hear that story, and we still pigeonhole. It's like, well, God speaks in the small, still whisper. That's how he's going to speak to me. And it's like, man, we, we intentionally stop a lot of times in our worship services, and we're, we're quiet. We literally invite the Holy Spirit to get rid of the noise that is so uh, prevalent in our lives and so deafening. Um, it's important that every morning or every night, whatever your preference is, is that you get alone with God and you be quiet and just get rid of everything else so you can hear him. But the problem is when we narrow it down, like this is how God speaks. This is when he does. This is honestly what I've done. Like It's always in the still small voice. God is in control and he can do what he wants. Amen. Oh man, you guys are average. All right, we'll get there. <laughs> um, you know, I might step on toes. I don't know, but in all due respect to people with Pentecostal backgrounds, um, God healed, had a miraculous display um, in this service. So every Thursday, we're going to have a healing service where you can come and heal. We're going to tell, we're going to say this is when and how God works. My only answer to that is God does what he wants when he wants. And that's with all due respect, I promise. Does anyone know the story before this that Elijah went through? Elijah on Mount Carmel. Anybody? I'll give you a little more of a backdrop, then we'll, we'll move on. But so Elijah is basically the only one of the only guys representing the one true God, and Israel is just God is plagued with these these idols and the, these uh, these other priests that represent these idols like Baal and Asherah. So he's like, "Hey guys, let's have a little competition. Let's have a little show. Um, meet me out on Mount Carmel. We're all going to have our own little display. If your God does this miraculous work, if he if he." consumes the offering that you set up, then cool, your God your God is real. Your gods are real. Um, but if not, I'm going to come up, I'm going to do my thing, and then if my God doesn't, he's the real God. That's the backdrop. So the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, all these false gods set up this big elaborate uh, worship service, to be honest. And they're dancing around this thing. They're calling out to God. They're literally cutting themselves like self-mutilation, which I don't recommend here um, for worship this morning. It's a bad idea. Um, but and they're, they're dancing around, they're yelling and it, hours and hours and hours pass by to the point where Elijah's like, yo dude, he's probably sleeping. You know, he's, he's harassing him. He's making fun of him till finally it's like, okay, check it out guys. They've spent like all morning, all afternoon doing this. Here's what's up. Pick it up. First Kings eighteen thirty three. He arranged the wood, cut a bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, I don't know about you. When I build fires, I don't use water. It's not a good, um, not a good idea. Do it again, he said. They did it again. More water. Good. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. Verse 35. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. There's a lot of water here, folks. It's not even contained anymore. It's everywhere. Everything's soaking wet. At the time of sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. 
Answer me, Lord. Answer me so his people will know that you are Lord. You, Lord, are God. You are in control and that you are turning their hearts back again. I love that verse. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, it is crazy. Thank you. <laughs> are you talking about me or the story? Sorry. Um, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. <laughs> I would do the same thing. What would you do if you saw that? That would be absolutely incredible. You guys ready for this? God is in control and he does what he wants. Amen. Thank you. There we go. Again, the coolest nonfiction you will ever read. It's the opposite, though, of how God appeared to him on Mount Horeb, which, by the way, and Mount Horeb ring a bell to anybody? It's where the Lord appeared to Moses as a burning bush. Anybody ever? I would have never thought of that. It's a pretty creative God. It sounds weird, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's cool. How many times in Scripture does God have to prove himself to change our perspective? Here's just a couple for you. Some of the big ones. Noah the ark, big old boat, lots of animals. And there's a lot of debate these days of whether it's literal or not, um, whether it's poetic or whether it just represents something metaphorical. The bottom line is if God wanted to do it, why not? If you don't believe that it's possible, you don't believe that he did, maybe your God is too small. I don't know. How about Abram and Sarah having a baby? Are there any um, women in their 80s or 90s this morning that are expecting a baby? <laughs> Some one lady first service like, no, praise the Lord. <laughs> and Sarah births Isaac, who God has promised Abraham, his entire lineage would be blessed through Isaac and that his descendants would be made like the, the stars of the sky, the sands of the seashore, infinite, huge, great, mighty nation. Then God calls Abraham. He's like, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son. It's like, all right, that's pretty crazy, and it's kind of contradictory to what you told me, but it's okay. By the way, the first time that worship is mentioned in Scripture, God promised to establish the nation through him, and he wanted him to sacrifice him. Obviously, if you know the end of that story, it turned out pretty awesome. Moses and the burning bush, that's pretty creative. Moses and the plagues in Egypt, think of uh, Charlton Heston every time, but it's okay, you get the drift. <laughs> Moses splitting the Red Sea and leading three million people across dry land. I mean, I think Sarasota County is a little less than a million. It's something like 800,000 between Sarasota, Venice, Northport, everything Sarasota County. Imagine three times the size of Sarasota being led across. Yeah, that's nuts. Leading to safety on the other side. How about Joshua leading the people around Jericho, knocking down walls with trumpets and pots and pans? I'm a trumpet player. I'm not a, like a super confident trumpet player, but I'm definitely not that confident. I'm not <laughs> my strategic. If I was in charge, I probably wouldn't do that. He did it because God told him to, and it worked tremendously. It displayed the power of God. David slain Goliath, a little shepherd boy. <laughs> Done. The entire army of Israel was like freaked out by, by the Philistines, and this guy just comes up and does it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny. Thank you, VeggieTales. Um, <laughs> easier way to remember. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't know what I was talking about. When they refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar, and he threw them in the fiery furnace, and he delivered them from that. Daniel and the lions then. 
Hebrews 11.32, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. How about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus for a second. Born of a virgin, I don't think I need to go into that, but it's impossible. It can't be done. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He performed these miracles that were always unexplainable. People that were dead being raised to life and giving people sight that had never seen before. Deaf people never hearing could hear. He himself dying and raising from the dead and ascending into heaven. Our God is bigger than our box. God is in control and he does what he wants. Yet even still, we pigeonhole God. You might be saying to yourself, that's all good and well. You know, that's like Moses and David and Jesus for crying out loud. I'm just here trying to get my church on, get my, my songs on, get my message on, and then get my lunch on. Those are all verbs, by the way. Um, I'll bring it down home for you this morning. I, I believe that God is speaking. I think a lot of times we miss because we're looking from the wrong perspective, that our, our box is too small. The fact that we have a box in the first place, that we say that God is in control, but in practice, we don't actually portray it. A couple uh, months ago, close to a year ago, went through a really weird, dry season. I've been married to my beautiful wife for about three and a half years now. Yay! Um, and just, we were just at odds about something. It, it was dumb. It was all selfish, now that I look at it in hindsight. But it was... Um, it was it was just weird. I just like I, I was like, all right, God, you know, I'm not really getting things my way. She's not hearing me. I'm not hearing her. You know, I'm just gonna kind of stop trying for a little bit. Um, not like I'm giving up, like I'm taking my ring off and I'm done. But just like I'm just gonna stop trying so hard because it's not working out. This is too hard. So I come into worship a couple months ago, um, close to a year ago now. Um, every Sunday morning, before you guys get here, before the sun even comes up, the worship team is in here praying over these chairs. And praying where you're sitting right now that God would move and that the Holy Spirit would speak to you on a real level. And we usually have music playing. We usually have, you know, stuff to kind of get our minds straight. Like, okay, I've got this going on, but God, we're here for this. So I walk in. I'm like, okay, this is stressful. I'm going to leave that at the door. And I'm, I want to be in a good mood for, for the church. So I'm going <laughs> to try to put that aside for now. So there's a song called Beautiful Exchange playing. As, as I'm praying for you guys, as I'm praying for the church and for the worship and the message and everything that's going to happen in the service, this song is all about the gospel. When only love can make a way, you gave your life in a beautiful exchange. When only love can make, could break these chains, you gave your life in a beautiful exchange. The whole song is just the gospel. And the frame, the bridge, is holy are you, God. Holy is your name. With everything I've got, my heart will sing how I love you. You might hear music. <laughs> I feel like Steve. This song builds, it's literally 10 minutes long. The bridge is like seven minutes of it. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And as I'm going, as I, I just feel like I'm praying God, like work through the service, be real to these people this morning, show your glory to us. And the only voice I hear is put your hands in the air. And I'm like... No, that's weird. <laughs> I'm the only one here, and that's weird. Heaven forbid the worship leader worships this morning. So finally, I fight it, I fight it, I fight it. I just feel this urge, like, put your hands in the air. You're singing, holy are you, God. Put your hands in the air. So I finally do. 
And as this bridge keeps building and going and getting bigger, my arms start shaking after like three minutes. I'm out of shape. <laughs> but my arms are hurting, like across my chest is starting to burn. After three or four minutes, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to put my hands on now. I got it. I did what you wanted me to do. It's like, no, keep them up. No matter what, keep them up. As I'm going, minute six hits. I'm like, that's it. I'm putting my hands down. I've been singing this. I did what you wanted me to do. And before I put my hands on, I look up and I see my wedding ring. God speaks to me in a moment that I did not see coming. It punched me right in the face. The verse, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't pigeonhole what God can tell you in worship. When I walked in that door this morning, I did not see that coming. I tried to leave it behind because it was kind of harsh in my mellow for worship. But God wants to speak to us, everyone, where we're at, right now our problem is that we miss it so often if i wouldn't have listened to the god in that moment i would have never seen that husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself that ahava love the unconditional here you go i'm giving of myself love god is in control and he does what he wants he speaks when he wants He's in the business of defining experiments and logic as you worship this morning. Change your perspective. Are you looking at God from the right angle? Are you limiting the way that he can speak to you? We know it's not about us. We all agree with it. But do we practice the truth that it's not about our preconceived notions? God wants to speak and move, but our perspectives have to be changed and our hearts must be open. This is when the beauty of the infinite artist is displayed. This is when the spirit manifests among his people, by the way, which reminds me of Acts, the beginning of the church. It's a story that's still familiar to a lot of you. It's actually a story that it's uh, the subject of hot, like really hot debate for a lot of people. In Acts chapter 1, we get a little bit of a backdrop. Acts 1.14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They had just seen Jesus be brutally murdered. He raised from the dead. They've seen him for weeks at this point. And they see him ascend into heaven. They know that God is in control and can do whatever he wants. They see it and they know it. It's fresh. When Jesus, before he goes into heaven, he says, I have to go. I have to go because then the Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will come. The Helper will come and do the things that I can't do. So we pick up an axe, this fresh, fresh, fresh thing that's just happened. They have no idea what this even means, the helper. All I know, the only thing that's important is they were praying together fervently, constantly, all of them together. God, we don't know what this means. We're just doing what we're told. Holy Spirit, the helper, we pray you be here with us. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I wonder if it's the same wind that was shattering mountains, by the way. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? God is in control and he does what he wants. Let's put it in a hypothesis. If God is in control, then he will do whatever he wants. This only happened because they relinquished control, the thing that we try to hold on to so hard, and they had a new perspective. They just saw Jesus raised from the dead. They knew this, this is all. God can do whatever he wants. They were waiting and praying fervently for the Holy Spirit to come. Because they had the right perspective, God moved in a crazy, miraculous way. Do not put God in a box. We're going to go into worship in just a minute here. We're going to end with worship. Um, and I know we like to have clear takeaways when we do scripture. Steve usually has a really tangible thing you can do, but I don't have one for you this morning. All I'm saying, all I know is that we worship the same God who did all these crazy miracles. We worship the God who split the Red Sea and led three million people across dry land. We worship the God who gives us breath. We worship the God that raised Jesus from the dead and made him sit at the right hand. Think about what's... Actually, you can't. Try to think about what's possible. (laughs) Read through this. How are you pigeonholing God this morning? So if, if you don't connect with the songs or you don't feel like singing, which is a whole other subject, but if you don't, I encourage you to pray this prayer during worship. God, you are in control, and I'm not. Please reveal yourself however you want by the power of your Holy Spirit and give me the courage to do what you want me to do. I come from a pretty conservative worship background. Um, you know, I, I literally have heard from church members growing up that the, the gifts are dead, like the Holy Spirit doesn't manifest itself in certain ways. And again, I just, how can you say what God can or can't do or won't do? So what, what's happening right now, some of you might be worried. I'm not advocating lunacy. I'm not asking to, to seek spiritual gifts, to speak, to, stra- to, to, to look for these scintillating, crazy things that God can do. The only thing I'm advocating is the loss of control, which doesn't even exist in the first place. Not lose control. People don't, don't like go crazy. You know what I mean, though? Going into worship, Holy Spirit, speak however you want. Whatever happens is you. I give you control. I'm advocating for your hearts and your minds to be open, free and willing to be used by the Holy Spirit, however he wants. And this is scary for a lot of people, to be honest. It's the same reason. I mean, it's, it's letting go of control. Like, okay, I don't understand this. I, I don't have control of it, so here you go. It's the same reason why tithing, giving financially is so hard. Steve mentioned it last week. God, this is my money I earned, you know, and this is a little more than what I feel like I, I'm able to give, but I'm not in control of it. Take it. It's such a tangible way to worship. The first time I really understood it, during our prayer time, uh, before church even started, I had a, a check written for more than what I wanted to, to offer, but I felt God was speaking to me. And as I dropped it in, I just prayed, God, do what you want with this. I can't wait to see what you do. And I just wept. It's just letting go of control is one of the scariest things you can do, but it's so liberating. Amen? Anybody? Whew. Giving to God is hard because it requires letting go of control and just waiting to see what he does. 
whenever he wants. In a world of 401ks and retirement plans and investments and savings accounts and all the anxiety, by the way, that comes with it. Letting go is so hard. Let go of your preconceived notions as to what God is going to do or how he's going to do it, how he's going to move. Expect the unexpected. Look through God's perspective, which is the only correct perspective. The one you can't control the outcome. It's scary, but it's so liberating. We worship the same God who split the Red Sea and it worked all these miracles. And there's so many miracles that are happening in a lot of our lives today. There's so many stories that have been coming out. We're going to go back into worship and I don't have a takeaway for you. But I want you to approach it with a different angle this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. It is scary. I'll give you that. It's, it's freaky thinking like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm letting go of control. I'm letting go of all this stuff that I think I, I think I know how this goes. I know we show up and we sing. I know we show up and have a message and we're supposed to do all this. This is what it looks like. I'll challenge you this morning to be open and ask that the Holy Spirit would speak in a new way this morning that's real. The way that he spoke to me about my marriage that I didn't even see coming. But only spoke that way because I, I was obedient and listened to him. All I'm asking is for you to be open this morning. Don't be distracted. I say it so many times during worship. Don't be distracted by those around you. Don't be distracted by the guy in front of you who's lifting his hands because he's responding in worship. Don't be distracted by someone crying next to you. I talk to people every week that are like, man, I really felt like God was moving me emotionally, but I held in my tears because I was worried about what people were thinking. Let them out. Let them out. I'll cry. It's okay. (laughs) We all, well, not all of us cry. I cry. Um, I didn't want to stand up because I felt like, and I want to lift my hands, I felt like I was being a distraction. You have permission this morning to worship the way that God pushes you to worship. And don't make it an outward thing. Like, I'm not asking you to do it. It's the opposite of what I'm saying this morning. I'm asking you to be open and listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he asks you to do. Ask him to speak in your life in a real way this morning. God, we give you this time. We give you our worship. We give you our songs. We pray, God, that this cliche of worshiping more than songs uh, would be destroyed, that we break it down this morning. God, that when we hear you speak, that we would go. And God, if that we can't hear you speak, that we would look for you. God, that we wouldn't be narrowed down to the, the preconceived notions that you only speak in certain ways. God, we pray that you would be real this morning, that you would move, you would speak, and that we would not miss it. We give you our hearts right now. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted. God, that we'd be focused on you, whatever you want to show us. We have no expectations. We have no preconceived notions. We're literally here just to hear from you and pray that you'd speak to the power of your Holy Spirit. God, and that after we hear you speak, that we'd be obedient to do what you ask us to do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys just remain in a mode of prayer. Don't be distracted by anybody around you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. This music is just a soundtrack. This is not the end-all, be-all. Heaven forbid that we make this about music. We bring you our hearts this morning. I invite you to speak however you want.